Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski, and we're going to open the show today as we always do by stating that the goal of this series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. We return today to an interview with a representative from the provider side. Our guest today is my good friend, Dr. Glenn Littenberg, who is the chief medical officer of Insight Digestive Healthcare. Although he's based in lovely Pasadena, his practice, Insight, is very widely distributed across all of California. Glenn has always pursued answers to practice management problems. He is truly a master of coding, billing, regulatory issues, and is a recognized national key opinion leader in this space. He's also involved in political advocacy efforts, schooling himself in healthcare policy and health administration. This led to a longstanding involvement in the California Medical Association, the American Society of Internal Medicine, the American College of Physicians, and ultimately the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, the ASGE. He served as chair of the Practice Management Committee of the ASGE, a position he's had since 2006. He's also their CPT advisor to the AMA and chair of their reimbursement committee. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you very much, Larry. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's nice to renew our discussions we've had so many times over the years and uh, see what's going on in the world. So the first topic I wanna discuss is your history of practice building in Southern California. How did you begin? Did you really start out as a solo doc and how did you build such a large practice? You must have had some secret sauce there to promote this growth. Yeah, we, we really don't have a buy-in. I mean, basically people who come in are having to just, you know, get, get the basics of the computer system installed and pay, you know, pay a little bit for the training time that we spend. But we really have kept a very low threshold. What we've tried to do, though, is, you know, locate people, most of whom one or another of us on the board knew as mm -hmm. good quality docs uh, with kind of the same general philosophy about practice and about quality and, you know, what, how we want to run things and what we value as being independent, you know, why we want to stay independent. Um, uh, some are new groups to us. They, they came courting us. Um, some we've reached out. Uh, so that's a big part of it. But our group, our board is fairly diverse, representing uh, different groups of the small practices. And we've had a lot of continuity, plus added new younger docs as we've, as we've grown. So, you know, being, being able to meet regularly and talk to each other and know what's going on nationally, uh, learn from groups like, you know, your, your former group, Illinois Gastro, other large groups around the country. Um, I mean, a lot of what goes on at our, our professional meetings, as you know, the networking has been invaluable. Mm -hmm. Being able to talk to leaders of groups and, you know, keep in contact, uh, have, you know, a couple of days couple of times a year uh, devoted to di discussions about all this stuff um, at uh, GI Roundtable, Klaus Mergner, and, you know, at, at the GO meetings with ASGE. Um, again, invaluable to kind of keep expanding knowledge and learning capabilities and just seeing what people are doing. Yeah, those are really the premier 
uh, practice management meetings in the country. Where where do you see Insight going from here? Where are you going in the future? I think there's a very high chance we will partner with private equity. As you know, many of the largest groups around the country have done that. Uh, and those groups have grown significantly to the point where now Gastro Health is uh, looking at a second bite. Um, and, uh, you know, GI Alliance has become huge and multi-state. Um, we, we were nearly there uh, just pre-pandemic. And of course, things kind of took a hit yeah, for yeah. a time for good reasons. Um, but I, I think we're back in the serious discussions. And I, I think there's a very high chance we will move forward um, and, and become a platform out here in California. So I would say that that would help us uh, be well positioned for further growth. Now, growth isn't easy. I mean, you have to either grow organically in your own groups, and that happens to a degree if, you know, if there's enough local demand. Uh, but to really spread out, you know, you have to find partners and uh, partners uh, are, are often reluctant to move into this space unless there's something nowadays financially in it for them. Um, and there's a cost to try to, you know, build new offices, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you finance that? You know, yeah. everybody going to dig into their own pockets and, you know, personally sign on, on significant size loans or what else? Yeah. For you the know, Glenn, group, that's a dilemma. You know, Glenn, you mentioned that Gastro Health is, is looking for its second bite, and that's, that's public knowledge. Uh, but it got me thinking that maybe one of the other entities like the GI Alliance could purchase Gastro Health. Do we see a national, a uh, something 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 similar to U.S. Oncology forming here, because you've got national employer groups. You got Walmart. You got Amazon. Uh, you got large national entities that have have uh, employees all over the place. I personally think that we're going to see this type of uh, continued growth. Just as you added practices together, mm -hmm. I think we're going to see the addition of private equity-owned large practices merging together. Yeah, I, I'd agree. That's likely to happen. I don't know if it'll happen, you know, this year or, you know, with, with GI Alliance and Gastro Health or whether it'll take uh, somewhere down the line a few more years, uh, you know, yet a bigger player uh, uh, with, a, with a bigger uh, uh, EBITDA uh, looking to consolidate large platforms, um, but I, I think, yes, it may well happen and it would make a lot of sense. Um, it, a lot depends on the economics of how do, you know, multi-employer trusts purchase services. Do they really want to deal with specialty by specialty or do they, you know, want an entire network? Uh, do, do they, they want, you know, capitated medicine through large groups that are functioning like IPAs in California function? where we remain sort of subcontracted as a specialty. Um, so there are you know, many different permutations and there's so much variation region to region that it's a little hard to predict that you know, a, a national entity yeah. is inevitable. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Glenn. And that brings up my second topic here. There are significant differences in the managed care environment in California versus the rest of the country. Would you be willing to elaborate on that a little bit for the listeners? Sure. Well, I mean, if you go back pretty good distance, even like 1992, um, I mean, uh, up till that point, um, 
the the commercial sector, the non Medicare sector, was a entirely fee for service with no real fee schedules, no real contracts, and uh, you know what what was then Blue Cross of California became Anthem. Uh, they were really the first to start launching PPOs, but even back in the '80s, there was the beginning of the HMO uh, groups, and there were small groups and small contracts. But California, you know, got out ahead in terms of accepting. Uh, capitated care contracts. And the health plans started to delegate more and more responsibility to the medical groups that would form these IPAs. So these independent practice associations would contract with a lot of community docs. Many of them had their own uh, group, um, like healthcare partners had, you know, large primary care group, but also contracted with, uh, you know, hundreds of specialists across Southern California, took on capitation for you know, virtually all aspects of, of care, hospital as well as all the outpatient stuff, um, doing their own credentialing, doing their own uh, data analysis, et cetera. So a large population of California, commercial and Medicare, you know, became part of the managed care environment in California well before much of the rest of the country. Uh, Medi-Cal started moving to managed care, Medicaid into managed care, partly by law, partly by just opportunities. Um, So very few of us in private practice and independent practice um, are are not involved in one way or another with a good part of our population being through contracts with IPAs that are in turn capitated by health plans. So the health plans have an administrative function and they go out to the employers and the individuals, but it's the IPAs, the medical groups that really run healthcare from you know utilization management, authorizations, um, a lot of things on the drug side, uh, uh, all, all kinds of things. And, and they bear the and they bear the risk. They bear the financial risk. Yeah, they bear substantial financial risk. So it's, uh, and, and so, you know, that model that's not unique to California, but California got way ahead of much of the rest of the country in that area. And in California, uh, the, the employers started working with the health plans, with the IPAs, set up quality measures uh, that became a basis for both inclusion in contracts and rewards, incentives to try to incentivize high quality care, you know, all the quality measures that um, uh, doctors wind up, you know, providing data for health plans report, IPAs report, you know, much of that evolved out of California. So, so Glenn, elsewhere in the country, we see deep penetration of the ACOs and many of the IPAs weren't able to compete with the hospital-based ACOs. So that's not occurring in California? ACOs have had a pretty limited role, even in, in, in my area, an ACO that the hospital started to get involved in, they basically wound it down. Um, really? And they've in, in turn just, you know, curried more uh, close relationships with, with the IPAs, like with, with Optum, which now took over healthcare partners. So that's, you know, that's a major player for our hospital. So the hospital shares some risk there. Um, and there are a lot of our physicians, primary care and specialists who are part of that. Uh, the ACO just never really took off here. 
And I think there are relatively few ACOs that have a significant patient population in California. There's some, uh, you can find them in, in names, but they're, they're not really substantial in numbers. Most of it is really managed care through IPAs or through large medical groups. And are you as a specialist able to be an owner in these IPAs? Uh, at one time, yeah, we had really two HMO IPAs in, in, Southern, in, in this region. Um, and w- the first of those that developed uh, was really a shareholder organization with a lot of what I'd call democracy. Um, and a lot of us were very motivated to, to help them develop and work. Ultimately, um, they merged into healthcare partners, and that's no longer really a shareholder kind of an entity. Right. right. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really just subcontractors, and we're, we're still on a fee-for-service basis uh, with, with them. You know? Oh, so you don't, you don't bear downside risk? Not really, nope. And you know, as much as we've talked about bundled payments and other potential options, uh, none of that has evolved. Uh, we've talked about sonar with, with our, you know, IPA colleagues trying to get, you know, managed um, you know, IBD care, um, care management uh, services going. Uh, and and they, they really weren't capable of, of looking into that. They tried to generate some data about IBD costs and numbers and so forth. They, they couldn't even come up with decent numbers. So we, we couldn't go very far in even those discussions. So, you know, so, we, you work in, so you work in a discounted fee-for-service environment. Yeah, it's basically discounted fee for service. And, you know, we're very cognizant of our um, utilization, you know, hospital days and, and so forth about efficiencies. And it's not just for managed care that we do that. I mean, it's for all the populations. But, you know, we're very aware all of that's being looked at. And um, uh, that, but, it, you know, in, in many respects, it's not that different than our contracts on the PPO side with Anthem and Aetna and all the sure. other players. Sure. Just a different person taking the risk. Yeah. Um, if you've just tuned in, you are listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Dr. Glenn Littenberg, Chief Medical Officer of Insight Digestive Healthcare. Glenn, we're going to shift topics here a little bit. You have really become synonymous with the ASGE. You've done so much work with the ASGE. I've I've participated in your in your Go courses and and uh, had had the pleasure of speaking at them. And I've always I've always learned something at those at those meetings. I chaired the practice management committee for the AGA, but I would suspect that the practice management committee at the ASGE probably has a bit of a different focus. Tell you spent many years chairing that committee. Tell us what what is the focus of the practice management committee at the ASGE? Well, I, th- I think if you look at ASGE's committee structure, there are probably four key committees that uh, intersect on on practice. One one now is just focused on practice operations. But was when I took over practice management from Klaus Mergner. Um, it, it had the reimbursement side, you know, the coding and the, the RUC side, the CPT, and it had practice operations. And we kind of spent time on a wide variety of topics. Ultimately, there was just so much work that we split into two committees, reimbursement committee and practice operations. So I've chaired the reimbursement side, which I'll get back to. 
practice operations has, has tried to focus more on how can practices thrive and I think has a lot in common with the AGA's uh, committee. And unfortunately, they don't work as closely together as I'd like to see. Um, but ASGE is also focused a lot on the uh, endoscopy center and its economics and quality. And a lot of the courses uh, in, involve the quality of care at outpatient endoscopy centers. And a lot of the work out of practice operations has involved the economics of running an endoscopy center. What do you see as the future of reimbursement for endoscopy? Are there, are there new models that we should look forward to uh, enjoying? Well, I've been rather surprised that notions about bundled endoscopy payments have not taken off more than you think they could or should. When you have large GI groups that have their own pathology, their own anesthesia, you know, the physicians, the facilities, even if the facilities aren't owned by the practice, like ours, our center is separate, not owned by Insight. I mean, we have the opportunity to negotiate bundled contracts, and yet payers don't seem to be open to it, don't seem ready for it, don't know how to administer it. Um, I, IPAs, likewise, we haven't really had any traction across several we've approached across California. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe direct employer contracting, but in California, there aren't huge employers that where that's going to be easy to do. You know, so, Glenn, I, I don't think they know how to bill it. I don't think they know how to, there's not a, like a single code that they could use for a bundled payment. And yep. I've always thought that was the reason they, they didn't they didn't pursue it because they don't know how to they don't know how to bill it. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be that hard to do, but you know, you're right. They 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 haven't figured out a way, and so they, they don't see it as economically useful enough. Uh, on the other hand, there's still an awful lot of hospital outpatient endoscopy done across California at costs that, as you know, are three, four, five, ten times what we can do in our outpatient endoscopy centers. Um, you know, even renegotiating our own endoscopy center contracts with our commercial payers, they don't get it. They don't really care if we're out of network and they're having to pay, you know, hospital outpatient eight times the rates. I mean, it's nuts and employers won't get involved. So, you know, where reimbursement's gonna go, I, I think what's gonna happen is as we're trying to expand access to care, and as the population ages, as costs keep going up, particularly on the drug side, on the hospital side, um, there is going to be growing pressure on reimbursement rates. And unfortunately, physicians have not been able to exert the same kind of counterforce uh, as hospitals, hospital systems, pharma companies, etc. So one of the most striking graphics I saw recently portrayed the rate of physician fee increases over the last 20, 25 years compared to what's happened with hospital rates, you know, drug costs, nursing facility rates, hospital outpatient rates. There, there's just, you know, I mean, the, the, the curves are, are, are like that. Slight increase over 25 years. I mean, we're 20, 25 years behind in inflation. You know, inflation costs is up here and, you know, physician reimbursement yeah. is there. I have, a, I have a slide that I, I use in some of my presentations that actually 
shows the normalized reimbursement for colonoscopy over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And had we not added pathology, anesthesia, facility revenue, we would really be realizing that significant loss of income, but we added all these other revenue streams. And that was really the only thing that's been ballast for us in keeping our own incomes where, where they, where they are. Absolutely. Um, one thing I, I, I don't want to miss in this is you're a master of the American college of physicians and boy, oh boy, Glenn, I don't know that I know another master personally. And so uh, tell the listeners what you're doing at the ACP um, I'm impressed that that you have a leadership role at the ACP as a, as a gastroenterologist, and I'd love to know what you, what you're doing there. Well, reality is that most most of that is more in the past, and the recognition as a master of the ACP, which is kind of a special designation beyond fellowship, was was a good number of years ago reflecting the work I had done over many years, which I greatly appreciate. There, I think they're very few, if any, I can think of that kind of the the work for the ACP was on the side of coding, reimbursement, documentation, Medicare policy, et cetera, rather than on, you know, teaching research and, you know, some of the traditional foci of the ACP. Um, but for years, I, I shared what was the equivalent of the practice management or reimbursement committees for ASIM before it merged into ACP and then for ACP. In those days, even before I got involved more at ASGE, my focus was on trying to get appropriate reimbursement and recognition for the other part of what we do, evaluation and management services. I mean, to, to, to me, the procedures are important, but that wasn't why I went into GI. Right. I went into GI to take care of patients, and that really means evaluation, management services, and all the ways we take care of people. And those were paid pathetically in the past compared to procedural payments. Um, and I worked very hard for years trying to get better recognition of what those services were. Um, my last topic I, I wanted you to comment on is the future of endoscopy. And I realize you're more in billing, coding, regulatory, but you are heavily involved at the ASGE. What do you see is coming? Are we, are we gonna see disposable duodenoscopes? Is artificial intelligence going to take over pathology and image interpretation? Do you have any uh, gut feelings as to where this is all leading? Well, definitely has gut feelings because I, 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 it remains to be seen. I think artificial intelligence will be an add-on to what we're doing that'll be of some, some help, but it won't replace what we're doing. Uh, and it won't lead to folks other than MDs doing by far the majority of colonoscopy. I don't, I don't think that there's a sensible way for us to train non-MDs to really take over the bulk of doing endoscopic work, um, but it'll, it'll help us identify lesions more accurately. And if maybe we get to a point in the medical legal environment where we don't have to take off polyps that look harmless, you know, right now we do it in large part, just, you know, cover our behinds and so we're sure we're not leaving something serious behind, but, you know, once we get AI, that's really accurate, you know, is it necessary to take off little ditzels? Um, and, and with some of the better screening tests, I think colonoscopy will gradually but steadily become something we do for individuals identified as apparently having something going on. 
So, a, so a diagnostic procedure rather than a screening. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I never in my life when I started practice thought that I'd be spending much of my life doing screening colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. Now, 1978, uh, we did a few colonoscopies a week. We would bring the patient in the hospital to do the prep keep them in the hospital yes. the night after the procedure. Do you remember back yeah, then? Do you remember the size of those kaleidoscopes? Yeah, they were about <laughs> like that big. <laughs> oh, you know, my God, yes. You, had to, you know, you had to have an hour, hour and a half uh, on your schedule to do the procedure, and you sweated your way through it. Yes. And, you know, you're looking through a little teaching attachment because yes. there's no fiber optic, uh, you know, video. The video took 10 years. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and, and we got paid, you know, $700, $800 a colonoscope right. in those days just for the procedure. Right. I remember. I remember. Yeah. I would do five a day and say I had a heavy day. Oh, that was a very heavy day. Yes, yeah. Yes. You know, well, Glenn, so screening was, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, we're going to be spending, you know, so much of our time doing screening. But you think of all the advances that are happening and advanced methods of removing polyps, of treating conditions like achalasia. Uh, you know, between AI and other techniques to identify pathology, I mean, there, there's a lot more we'll be doing, but it'll be different and more specialized and screening colonoscopies will gradually go away. I don't think it'll be overnight that'll destroy GI. I think it's going to be a gradual evolution, change in what we're doing, more capabilities, transluminal procedures, you know, a lot, lot of different things. Um, I'm, I'm just sorry I won't be around to, you know, play in that sphere. But, uh, you know, join well, your let's, 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 let's close with what you will be doing. Uh, you know, tell me your favorite trip of all the tri- ph- photographic trips you've taken and tell me where you still need to go. Oh, need to go a lot of places. Uh, my two favorite trips are the last one I did and the next one I'm going to do as a generic answer. Uh, I'm hoping after a couple of years of delays, my next one's actually going to be New Zealand. I'd like to go back to the South Island. Beautiful place, fun place to travel around. Um, And maybe I'll get to Madagascar and back to Kenya uh, for some amazing exotic stuff to do and see and photograph. And those trips are just a lot of fun. I learn a lot because of the colleagues I'm with and the, the, the teachers I'm with, and we're just out in the field doing stuff almost 24 hours a day. Uh, but, you know, I love a lot of places. I was in Northern New Mexico just before the pandemic and did night photography, beautiful Milky Way shots over the cliffs and ruins and, and just, just fabulous stuff. There's so much to get out and do. Uh, so I've missed that. My current, uh, Photographic trips are basically, you know, with my iPhone walking around the neighborhood. <laughs> and that's that's got to be a monumental change for you. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on today. You're a master of the gentle flow of information. You're always a pleasure to uh, to talk to. Thank you very much. Fun doing this with you. Thank you. Yeah. Much obliged. Well, I'd like to thank the audience also for tuning in. And you can learn more about the show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com. And lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. 
Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.